0: Welcome to the Washdown Podcast, and on today's episode, we have author Kim Colgrove. Um, We had a great conversation with her. Mike was here uh, guest hosting again. A lot of great information um, talking about meditation um, and mindfulness. So you guys hope you enjoy it. Hope you get something out of it. Uh, like and subscribe and all that stuff. And, again, we'll put all of her social media and all of that stuff in the uh, show notes. So, yeah, here you go. The Washdown Podcast with special guest Kim Colgrove. At uh, Chris's house before, and uh, it was time to get out of his basement and move it into mine. So, <laughs> we had this Nice basement that had kind of two sections in it. So I was like, "Oh, this is big enough, perfect size. I perfect. can make this exactly what I want. And mm-hmm. Works good. Yeah. Well, I mean, it works. I don't yeah, know about good, but. <laughs> Probably better than the alternative. Uh, yeah, better than the alternative of, you know, sitting around a kitchen table. Mm-hmm. So. so, Kim, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and tell us what you do, and just a little bit about yourself, and we'll go from there.
1: Okay. My name's Kim Colgrove, and I'm the owner of Pause First Academy, where we offer resilience training to first responders, and I'm the author of Mindfulness for Warriors. Cool. And? And? <laughs> I was born in, (laughs) I'm the mom of three adult kids. I have two grandchildren. You guys want to talk about my grandchildren? We can totally do that for like an hour. (laughs) uh, You know, I appreciate the
0: offer, but uh, I think we'll keep this mental health related.
1: Okay, fair enough.
0: So how long have you been in that sphere of working with first responders?
1: I started working with first responders in 2017. Prior to that, I was teaching meditation and mindfulness in corporate settings. And then um, in at the end of 2014, my husband David retired from a 30-year law enforcement career. And um, less than three months after he retired, he took his own life. And that's what caused me to turn my awareness to first responders. So I spent a couple of years kind of reading and researching, and I kept thinking I wanted to work with first responders somehow, but, you know, not exactly an easy, easy to break into when what you want to do is teach them how to meditate. (laughs) (laughs) Not popular, no. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. um, Not so much. I mean, I think we see it more now, and especially it could just be maybe because of, you know, in the realm that I'm in uh, doing, you know being aware of mental health and all of that stuff and different things that go along with that. Um, More aware of meditation and things now. But for the longest time, it was like, I don't want to be a Shaolin monk. I'm not going to meditate. Yeah, that's the
1: problem with, and really, I think, kind of what I'm known for is working with beginners and skeptics, because there's a ton of people have a lot of preconceptions about what meditation is and it gets locked in with like eastern philosophy and monks and buddhism and and all that but there is kind of a stripped down version of meditation that really is just about sitting and breathing and allowing yourself to be since we're going and doing all the time and you know really just settling your nervous system i mean that's a huge piece of what's going on across these professions is everybody living in, in stress response all the time without the knowledge that there are personal practices, tools, and skills they can use to like dial back their own stress response, cool off their own nervous system. And that's how I teach the practice. I mean, I, purposefully extracted all the woo-woo and the new age and all the weird (laughs) hippy dippy (laughs) stuff. I just pulled it all out and pretty straightforward instruction.
0: Yeah. It's kind of an important thing to know that, you know, you can't live your life at nine all the time.
1: Amen.
2: You got to be able to dial it back. So what would you say when you're explaining this to a new group, the top benefits, what are they going to get out of it? What do you lead with?
1: Well, stress reduction. I always lead with stress reduction. I mean, that's something very simple and straightforward that everyone understands, and I don't meet anybody in any of these professions that doesn't deal with a ton of stress. Um, so I lead with that. And then there just are so many other benefits if I can get them into a class to get them to sit and you know kind of go through a two hour or a four hour half day or even a full day. I teach an eight hour class for the Kansas Law Enforcement Training Center and help people understand what can occur in the brain and in the body when you use a tool like meditation that's not the only stress reduction tool you know that can help you settle your own nervous system but um so for this i've noticed with this demographic because you know y'all are smart people and but you like like the facts and the black and white and like just give me the facts and so once they learn that it's an evidence-based practice and uh How it can improve brain function and how it can change physiology, like settle your body chemistry, you know, settle your stress hormones. Once they get that, they're like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was. Mm. Yeah.
0: So how does it actually settle your stress hormones?
1: Well, when you sit and breathe and allow yourself to just be, which probably wouldn't happen the very first time you sat down to meditate if you were new to it, but if you adopt meditation as a regular practice there are all kinds of benefits potential benefits that are available so uh there's some research that shows a a rewiring or a restructuring of of the brain so just in really really simple terms um the amygdala is a small little area in the center of our brain and it controls our stress response and in these first responder professions uh the amygdala is activated very regularly. So when you encounter a threat or a traumatic event, that activates the amygdala, and the amygdala begins to dump stress hormones into your system. And you can mm-hmm. feel that when, you're, uh, when you encounter that threat or traumatic event because you feel the stress hormones, you feel the adrenaline, you can feel the cortisol levels, you can feel that rising. You know what that feels like. And so there's some research that um, points to uh, a deactivation in the amygdala with regular meditation. And so that that's just one aspect or one component that they've there's some evidence to support that. So, you know, if you think about so that's a personal practice that I can learn and practice and and um and so then I have the ability to sort of rewire or restructure my own brain by using, you know, a practice like that. It's like um you know, if you wanted to improve your physical fitness or, or gain muscle mass, then you know you got to work out. Mm-hmm. So, for example, lifting weights, you know. So if you lift weights in a particular way, you know you're going to build muscle mass. No one's going to argue with that, you know. So I think of it kind of like that. You know, if you sit still and allow your brain and your body to kind of decompress and you learn what it means to just be. So you're not thinking, problem solving, doing, going, you know, you're just just being. Our bodies are just these magnificent chemical factories, and, and our bodies were created for balance, for stasis. And so the body knows what to do. We have to be still and kind of let everything settle and be quiet, and then our body will do what it's intended to do, which is get and keep us in balance, keep our immune system strong and things like that. So to me, it just makes, it's just common sense that probably all, what, 8 billion of us on the planet should probably sit still every day, just sit and breathe and, and just be. And it's nearly impossible for a high percentage of people in the beginning,
2: So, in that, how important is the breathing aspect of that? Is it true that a lot of us don't breathe correctly anyway? And so, that's one of the big, big benefits of doing this is we are forced to breathe the right way when you're following that.
1: Yeah. We, yeah. We live in a society of shallow breathers, you know. So, like, even you guys right now, just pay attention to your breathing. We breathe just a little bit barely into our chest, Mm -hmm. you know, because our body will breathe us. So, we breathe enough to stay alive. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you, but if you, Pay attention to your breath, and then take a deep one. That feels completely different. There's a there's something different happening inside your body, and oxygenating is really important. Breathing is a hugely important component, uh, and it's a standalone practice. I mean, I I say this all the time. If you're not going to meditate, but you'll at least uh, be open to breathing exercises, breath control, and and start there just use breath control and breathing exercises you can control your own body chemistry you know you can help your own physiology to settle down it slows down your heart rate right and that can start to Mm -hmm. lower your blood pressure I mean that's measurable you could be super keyed up and then sit down if you have a wearable on that we can measure or we put a blood pressure Mm -hmm. cuff on you or something you know Mm -hmm. and all you do is sit still and use some form of a breathing exercise, controlled breathing. Then we're going to see with the measurable on your wrist or, you know, we're going to see your numbers start to change, right?
2: Yeah. And yeah. then you go back to the that segment of population we want proof. There, there mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. We're actually doing something for you now.
1: I love it when people in my classes will come up to me on a break or at the end of class and say, I'm wearing my Garmin or I have my Apple Watch on. And, you know, they'll tell me my resting heart rate is typically here and here's where it is now. I've sat here today and I've watched my blood pressure drop all day. I, think, I love that kind of feedback and reporting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: that's well, just encouragement for me to meditate more often because <laughs> I think it's <laughs> drop my blood pressure. Most <laughs> of
2: us don't think breathing. When we think meditate We're like, oh, you want me to be in my thoughts or whatever people say. And they don't understand that there's more to it than just that. Is that one of the, what are some of the biggest misconceptions you find?
1: About meditation, mm-hmm. that it's weird, that it's for hippies, that it's only for monks, that it's connected with Eastern philosophy, that it's for for Buddhists. Um, a mm. lot of I've had a lot of people over the years. I've taught professionally since 2011, and I've had a lot of people uh, say that they are not comfortable with the practice because they're Christians, and mm. they for 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 whatever reason that they learned at some point they're fearful of it that they think it goes against their religion and so for for those people which fair enough you know fair enough if that's if you have a fear about i don't think i should do that you know i i think that's and maybe it's because they think it's for people of different religions or something so i i just always say meditation is not necessarily connected with or In Mm -hmm. opposition to any religion or spiritual philosophy, it can be. I mean, you could integrate meditation into your spiritual practice, but it can also be used as just a standalone, secular, stress reduction, personal practice.
0: And how long is it typically, I mean, I know you said earlier, like during class, you've had people say you can see it results like immediately, but how long do those last? Like, I mean, and obviously you got to keep up with it but
1: right that's the thing and that's so that's another thing that is really interesting about a lot of the research is and it i always refer back to a couple of studies that came out of Harvard and it seems like forever ago now, but and it, it kind of was a long time ago. I think one was 2005 and one was 2011. And after that second one in 2011, um, there were articles all over the place. You can still find an article called Eight Weeks to a Better Brain in the Harvard Gazette. But I remember seeing it on like ABC News and like kind of in the mainstream, uh, some of the um, research that came out of those studies. And, um, and part of it was uh one thing that they they discovered was that the benefits that were measurable uh there was a, an exponential benefit so they didn't just occur during the meditation that the practice seemed to sort of rewire the brain and so it, there's this exponential benefit which makes sense if you think about it um If you are using a practice that sort of creates new neural pathways in your brain, so your brain isn't just firing, operating in that habitual manner, which is, you know, whatever it is, high stress. Fight or flight
0: all the time. Fight or flight, yeah.
1: Yeah. And you're doing a personal practice on a regular basis that is basically sort of deactivating the areas like the amygdala that controls the stress response um, and activating other air, more beneficial areas like the prefrontal cortex—that's where executive functioning lives. Um, it makes sense that if you did that with repetition again, like lifting weights, exactly. You know? If yeah. if we stood up right now and we went stood over there and lifted weights for a few minutes, I mean, some endorphins might kick in. We might feel kind of good. You know, I can say I'll be sore tomorrow. You guys probably won't be. <laughs> um, you know, but if we do that on a regular basis and stay with it, there's an exponential benefit. You you gain muscle mass, you improve your physical fitness. And um, as long as you keep doing it regularly, mm-hmm. you're going to keep yeah. noticing that benefit.
0: So, yeah.
2: I used to hear that your in first responders and need like military too, that the medulla actually grows in size over time. And then practices like meditation were proven at one point to shrink that. Is that still the case?
1: Yeah, well, they actually, so this is, this is, um, there's really there's a lot of research out there uh, on meditation and mindfulness like thousands of scientific Mm. papers have been written you know in the past maybe 25 years or so but um part of those studies that i always point to from harvard i because i know there's an article out there and it's easy for people to leave my class go read the article if they want to continue you know Mm -hmm. learn or if they're skeptical that that these are in fact evidence-based practices but um So when I said that the amygdala is um, deactivated, you know, it kind of quiets down, Mm -hmm. um, they also found that there uh, was uh, less gray matter density in the amygdala over an uh, an eight-week period, meaning it shrunk. It was Mm -hmm. measurably, quantifiably smaller um, and increased gray matter density in the prefrontal cortex. I think that's fascinating. It's unbelievable to me. Yeah,
0: yeah, you can.
1: I mean, I I want to do a disclaimer here, though. I don't want anybody <laughs> emailing me, you know. I, I, but I I am not. I don't want to oversell meditation. It's mm-hmm. not like the end all be. If it was, we'd all be doing it all the time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It is a tool. It's it's one tool. It is evidence based. Um, it's obviously it's a tool I really believe in. I I was trained in transcendental meditation when I was ten years old, as a kid. So. Uh, it's it's a tool I've used for a long time and I've met a lot of people who, you know, are also big believers and maybe they were skeptics and then they begrudgingly tried it and, <laughs> and then they noticed some improvements and then they stuck with it. But I don't ever want to oversell it. I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, and I don't want to get in trouble with any, you know, anybody that, because a lot of people can't meditate in the beginning when they try. Yeah. They just have so much going on mentally and, emotionally and hard time sitting still and holding their eyes closed and all kinds of things like that, that makes it extra difficult in the beginning.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like you've given, given the analogy about working out, you know, of something that is hard in the beginning. And as you progress, it gets easier and easier and you start to see the benefits. So, and then you can push yourself further along, but 10 years old, transcendental meditate. Like I got to hear the story.
1: Okay. Well, my parents were hippies. It starts there. (laughs) There's where it starts. And they were meditators. And, uh, yeah. So they took me to this, there's this little house and it's still there. It's in the Brookside area of Kansas city. And it used to be a transcendental meditation, um, center. Hmm. And they took me there and my training was, so nowadays I think it's like $1,500 or something like that to go through the transcendental meditation training. And, um, you go and you get your initial training, and then um, you go home and practice for a certain amount of time, and then you come back, and it's it's kind of a whole thing. Um, but my training is probably what it, what you might assume it was in the seventies. Like it was a bald guy with the Roby stuff on, <laughs> <and> <laughs> candles lit and incense burning and flowers everywhere, you know. And we sat on the floor and things like that. That was my original training. That's not what I practice anymore, no. and it's not what I teach however it's a viable practice a lot of our research is based on transcendental meditation it's one of the older techniques t- to have come to the united states and um and it's a great practice it's 20 minutes twice a day it's a great discipline it's just i just kind of moved away from it over the years it's all i knew for a long long time um and then when i was 18 years old i read a book or two kind of started looking around a little bit and around the time i turned 30 I got really serious about meditation and um, started reading books, learning from other teachers, trying different techniques. I mean, I used to, I used I was a closet meditator. I used to hide. I didn't, because I didn't want anyone to think I was weird. I didn't really talk about it that much. Oh, the hippie
2: girl over there. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm.
1: And I didn't, and I didn't want to, because my parents were hippies. And you know how that goes. Like, I don't want to be like my, my parents. It, they were like seventies hippies. Okay. Not like cute, cool hippies now. They were like, <laughs> for, like different generation. Were, yeah. And, um, but so, and I used to practice, like I would just read a book or I would find some new thing. And then I would, I can remember when my oldest daughter was in school and my son was still home, I, I would put him down for his nap and that I would always carve out an hour while he napped. So I could try like the 45 minute meditation or the one hour long. just, that's not what I do regularly. I usually, I do between 10 and 20 minutes a day. Um, so I started experimenting and then I think that's how I ended up grabbing from like, Transcendental Meditation, which I knew, and that's what I had used, and then all these different techniques and ideas, and I just kind of did this conglomeration, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and all that is what helped me create the methodologies I ended up using down the road when I decided Mm -hmm. to teach other people about it.
0: Well, and I think that's a good thing, because like we were talking about, I think before we started the camera, about different treatment modalities. You know, whenever you start talking about mental health, you're not going to go see a therapist and... EMDR is going to work for everybody, right? Or talk therapy is going to work for everybody. This is the one thing. It's everybody's different. So. Yeah,
1: you know, that's why I get I, I am so disappointed by people in this realm, who poo poo or discount certain techniques or certain practices or certain because, um, and that happens all the time. And I think we why not have a, a wide array? Why not have a big full menu of um, Practices and tools because we're all different. We all have different brains. We all have different learning styles. Meditation is going to be a great lifelong practice for a lot of people. Some people may just never connect with it, mm-hmm. it just might not ever work for them. And that's the same thing with all different kinds of therapies mindfulness, yoga, you know, all these like take what resonates and leave the rest.
2: You never know what's going to help people. It's like you said, it's one tool. And it's got different applications, I'm sure, probably as well. Mm-hmm. Like a daily practice or is there, you know, it could be beneficial for the person even if they don't believe in it. Like they've had a stressful day and then at home life, home life, home life, everything's in shambles. Then they do a 10-minute yoga or, uh, sorry, meditation practice before work to kind of bring everything back down so they're not rolling into work at a nine. Mm-hmm. And we know what happens in these professions when you do that. Yeah. Um,
0: Gosh. Yeah. Everything goes great. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. So do you find different people will use like, no, I do it every day, or no, I only do it when I know stuff's adding up and I need to s- settle myself a little bit.
1: Yeah. I. Do, so I don't think it's a practice that you. It's like not an on-demand practice. It's not a. Okay. a it's not a solution to a crisis. Mm-hmm. In well, fact, when you're in crisis or when you're in a really bad mental or emotional state is probably not the time Mm -hmm. you know but it's it's having a regular meditation practice so that when you do like when it hits the fan you have a set of skills you have you have you have tools you've you've been sitting in meditation and so you've you're you probably have already benefited from the ways in which meditation can benefit your brain function and and then you have the added skills like breathing mm-hmm. being able to bring your awareness into the present moment because you know when when there's a crisis when there's a a traumatic event or there's a threat everything just goes out the window you get flooded you know your breathing stops or gets labored or choppy and um sometimes you're you're you know, lose your peripheral vision you like all the things that happen when you're you know you're flooded with stress hormones but if you have a regular mindful practice or a regular meditation practice, you have this built in kind of tool set. Yeah. Resilience that you, yeah. and, and so you don't really, it becomes second nature. You mm. don't have to remember to take a breath and get present. So you can get that pocket of mental clarity that you need to address the situation. It, 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 it becomes second nature. You just do it. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And right. I, you know, a lot of, a lot of first responders, worry that if if they start meditating they'll kind of turn into a softy like th- they don't want to lose their edge you know like i can't lose my edge my edge <laughs> is what makes me you know good at my job
0: yeah that's the same <laughs> excuse that a lot of us mm. use to not go to therapy and not you know do these type of
2: uh you know healthy coping skills
1: mm-hmm. yeah yep. yep yep
2: so what's your go-to response when you hear that
1: it is not it does not have to make you lose your edge in fact it can sharpen your edge because think of a time when there's been uh, you've you've been smack dab in the middle of some critical incident and there's just a ton going on and you're flooded with stress hormones what if in that situation you would have had you would have known the importance to regulate your breathing mm-hmm. to pay attention to your breathing that you would have had the mental and emotional fortitude or the or the, the power or even the knowing be here right now, like get checked in.
3: Mm-hmm. Get
1: checked in. This is no time to be thinking about the last time you encountered this and how bad it went. This is no time for you to be mentally projecting yourself into the future and how bad this can go. Or you know, like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get here, get checked in. Deal with what's right in front of you. And those are like that's those like that's a skill set that you can develop by practicing meditation, mindfulness.
2: And I think a little bit what you said there, some of us, some of this our body knows. Like when you mentioned like the breathing, like when I would do, um, before high risk search warrants or a takeoff of a like a violent felon, hom- homicide suspect or robbery suspects that were armed, I would, and I didn't notice it at first, but I would always take a big, huge deep breath right mm-hmm. before we were about to roll in and get exit the van and hit the house or roll up to the, the takeoff scene, wherever that was. Mm-hmm. And it didn't ever hit me till one day things went really bad, but I specifically remembered sitting in that driver's seat. When we were rolling in, taking that huge last deep breath and real long exhale, I didn't even, I wasn't even, that just did it. Like my body knew I needed to calm it down Interesting,
1: a bit. yeah. Getting grounded, getting um, centered, getting checked into the, yeah. like you need to be all here right now.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I thought it was really interesting looking back on different stuff. And I remember doing that, sitting in the van door, waiting as we're rolling up to the house. Like I remember doing that. Every time, that big, long exhale.
1: Yeah, and then during your firearms training, didn't they talk to you about breathing, particular breathing?
2: A little bit. but That was so long ago. Yeah, know, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're 22 and bulletproof, what mm-hmm. you do and don't listen to, I, oh, I, I yeah. hate to admit, but yeah.
1: Yeah, everybody's invincible for those first five years exactly. or Exactly. So. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and,
0: you know, that goes along with, you know, all the training that we go through. Everybody talks about, okay, you have to be focused on what you're doing right now all the other stuff needs to go away Mm -hmm. because what we're doing right now is life or death. And somehow we kind of take that and apply it in like the worst way possible. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. There's like the, um, the active version of that and the passive version of that, but it's all important. It's all mindfulness. It's all being mentally Mm -hmm. fully present right here, right now. And so use it when you need it, you know, and then practice it when you don't, when you don't need it practice yeah. it when you're not so under you pressure it when practice it, it when you're not I- in a crisis yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. and i mean that's how you can think about meditation that's how that's when i sit and practice you know bringing myself into the It's what it's all about i mean it's really what the practice is about bringing your own attention to the breath to the here and now to the self to this moment in time just over and over that that's what you're sitting there doing
2: mm-hmm. i think it's one of those things that even all the naysayers, whatever they want to say, it may be better for some people and it is better for some people and doesn't work as well for others for whatever reason, but it's not something that can ever hurt you. You're never going to be worse off giving this a shot. Is that correct?
1: Well, I think so for the most part, but I do give lots of um, uh, like outs, like, you know, chicken exits, like when you were a kid you'd go to the fun house or whatever and they had a chicken exit and it's not even a chicken, it's just if you sit down to meditate and Whatever might be going on with you mentally or emotionally in that moment or just like over your overall state right now, if you sit and close your eyes and, and you're trying to breathe in a certain way and you f- feel a panic attack coming on, hmm. I am not – I would never recommend anyone just sit through it. Just, you know, I mean <laughs> – might not be the time oh my gosh this might not be the time you might not be in the right headspace right now this you know and also i give people lots and lots and lots of different ways um, to practice so i recommend about 15 minutes a day or so Mm -hmm. 10 ish 15 20 ish you know a day but i meet a lot of people who couldn't sit still for 15 minutes if They had to, Mm
3: -hmm. you
1: know, they're just not in the right state of mind and and their body gets fidgety or they have pain or whatever it is. So I always say, well, how long do you think you, how long can you sit still and, and experiment with being, just see what it means to just sit and be, how long can you sit still? And if they say literally maybe two minutes, I say, okay, well then how about a two minute a day meditation for now? You know, Mm -hmm. and just do it with a little discipline, you know, and, um, and, You know, if you listen to one of my guided meditations or you're in my class or something and I tell you to breathe in a particular way and that for whatever reason just makes you feel uncomfortable, you just then regulate your breathing. Mm -hmm. You You know, these are suggestions. And that's kind of the trauma sensitive instructional piece of meditation and mindfulness is not really forcing hard and fast rules on someone who's has post-traumatic stress or you know is 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 dealing with a lot and it's, it's tricky and it, across these professions sometimes because y- you guys are very black and white thinkers you're like rule followers you're like follow orders you like you know like that like that's just part of your makeup that's mm-hmm. part of like the structure that you live with and that's mm-hmm. what like keeps society from going to hell right because <laughs> you do things in a <laughs> certain way so then mm-hmm. then someone tells you to do something and and You'll sit there and push through it if you're about to pass out or God knows what because
0: yeah because that's what we're supposed to do these are
1: the <laughs> these are the rules these are the parameters these are the you know mm-hmm. so I try and always integrate a lot of like I invite you to do this but if that becomes uncomfortable do what works for you or mm-hmm. you know like that so it's it's I think I really do think probably my gift with. Talking about meditation, teaching people is the flexibility that I build into it. I can give you so many different approaches and ways of breathing and just uh, until we find something that fits you, you know, that works for you. And the same thing might not work for you every single day. Mm-hmm. You might be having a great day today and you can sit down for 10 minutes and it felt great. And then another day, you've got mental stress, you've got emotional stress, you got a lot going on and you can't sit still in closure. I can't do it. you know. Yeah. So... What would I do on that day? You know, that kind of a thing.
2: Mm-hmm. I would say at some points, especially people who, like you threw out a panic attack earlier, um, I would say that's a very clear sign that probably some therapy should be in your in your part of that tool bag Yeah, to go along with that meditation until you can get back to where you can meditate and set in your thoughts. Because that's what a lot of us go through is when our everything's quiet, then all those thoughts in our head, we push down throughout the day and during the stressful events that help us push those out, mm-hmm. um, they start to come back. Mm-hmm. And I know that's one of the mistakes I made. Uh, meditation wasn't for me for a while, and the caveat to that is that doesn't mean I just blew it off completely. The breathing aspect of it is what really intrigues me about that. Mm-hmm. But for a while, I was you know being told to meditate, and to just I hadn't done the trauma therapy work yet that I needed, but I didn't know that. Oh um, gosh! But so yeah. having gone through that, I hate when people are like, "Well, meditation is bad because studies show you know first responders can't sit in their own shit." Basically, um, that doesn't mean just dis- discord it altogether. I right. wish that would be followed up with that. Like, it can still be beneficial in the future. Maybe. I have.
1: Oh, I've said this to so many people over the years, and before I worked with first responders, um, I, I had one private client uh, who was. She came to me because she had terrible crushing anxiety and she wasn't sleeping and so she was sleeping like three four choppy hours a night maybe and um it was affecting everything you know it was affecting her her mental capabilities and then everything and so um she came to me and she brought one in the beginning one or two of her adult kids even came with her and um she could not close her eyes and take one deep breath she couldn't do it she would close her Mm. eyes she wanted to she really wanted to, she would close her eyes and she would start to take that breath and her body would come up out of the chair. I mm. mean, she, she would stand up out of the chair and then she would say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, she would, she was just so anxious. And so I said to her, okay, I don't think I'm your next logical step. Mm. I'm going to recommend, you know, have you gone to a therapist? No, I'm going to recommend that you go to a couple of counseling appointments, find a therapist, you know, and I know it's difficult in the beginning and make that first appointment, find one that you can, you know, but I said, I don't, I don't feel that you should force yourself to sit and close your eyes. And and I just don't think this is going to work for you. So maybe do some therapy. She was wide open. like, she was at the point where she would do anything. She would have done, if I would have said, stand on one foot and bark like a dog, and flap your arms like a chicken, (laughs) she would have been like flapping her arms. And, um, so she did. So she went to therapy and she found a therapist and she started working on some of what, you know, was going on. in the inside. Yeah. She ended up coming back to me. And um, by that point, she could close her eyes and take a few breaths and um, was still wasn't sleeping great. So I set up a strategy with her where she was supposed to sit still in a chair and just breathe. If she could close her eyes, do that. If not, that was fine for one minute every day. And I had her send me a text. So one minute can be any time of the day, one minute, but you do it with some reverence. Yeah. You know, you sit and that's kind of your daily meditation. It's, you know, and so she started there and she would text me once a day. I did my minute. I did my minute. And then we slowly added a minute and we got to five minutes. And when we stopped working together, she had worked her way up to 15 minutes a day and she was sleeping seven to eight hours a night. Yeah. But so I've told many, many people in classes, in person over the years, if meditation is upsetting and and makes you miserable and you feel a panic attack coming on and all, you know all these things you close your eyes and you get all the visions and the I- images and the intrusive thoughts and, you know and your heart is racing the, then it's this this is not your next logical step mm-hmm. there's something else you need to do and it it doesn't mean you throw meditation out the window you, you're just not a match for it right now no. And yep. yeah i i i love when guys like you talk about talk openly about therapy and I look forward to the day that it becomes very commonplace. I mean, I have this dream, I always say this, I have this dream that like in 10 years down the road, um, you know, you're, you're sitting around with a bunch of cops or a bunch of firefighters and, and someone goes, well, aren't you in therapy? No, dude, you gotta be kidding me. We're all in therapy. (laughs) What's wrong with you? (laughs) That's so weird. We're all in therapy. Like that becomes the norm. Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's uh, yeah, I'd like to see that. I really would, so because it's needed. I mean, you talk about just the stuff that we see and all of that stuff, and just to think about, oh, no, I don't need to talk to anybody about all of that stuff. Come on. Like, I mean, you know, there are ways and things we can do to, you know, be more resilient and things like that, like not having a lot of those maladaptive coping skills like mm-hmm. drinking and all the other stuff.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But at some point, Eventually you're going to need to talk to somebody, whether that's a a peer and peer support or a therapist, or you've been doing, you know, mindfulness meditation since you came on the job and you have, you're more resilient going forward. So maybe you don't get to that point where, I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that's something to think about as far as, you know, the new, the new cadets and recruits coming in of starting them from day one.
1: Yeah. It's, it's so brand new. I mean, just in the most recent few years to even be able to have a conversation like this Mm -hmm. with, with, you know, first responders who have like been there, done that combat veterans who have been there, done that. And, um, and will openly talk about, yeah, it messed me up or I had some problems. I went to therapy. I do this. I do yoga. I, you know, whatever these conversations never used to be possible. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I know, you know, my, my husband's first year, um, he went through the police academy I think in 1983 or 1984 and um, his father was police officer grandfather was police officer mm. uncle on mom's side uncle on dad's side came from you know family of cops and so talking about any damn thing was not mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. there was no not there was happening. no no talking about it. and you know and he was in a a horrible shooting his first year as a police officer he was only 21 and um you know nobody there, nobody talked to him about it Not his, Mm. not his sergeant, not his father, not his mother, not anyone at the department. Like nobody, he, he got, he got, they took his badge and gun. They sent him home. Mm. There was an investigation. He was cleared. They called him back in. He got his badge and gun back. He went to roll call and he was back in a one man patrol car. He was 21. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And so that's like just one small example of what I realized then after he died of the weight that he carried and things that. He never dealt with and he would talk about him a little bit once in a while. It just what he didn't like to tell all those stories, he didn't like to, to drum it all back up. So, what I realized was he never processed through some of those, some of the worst, you know, critical incidents, some of the worst things. He never processed through them at all. He was just holding them inside. And, like, that's a strategy. That's one strategy. Just hold them in, <laughs> and shove, shove them down.
2: That, that is one way to do it. It's yeah. not sustainable. No,
1: it's not sustainable. <laughs> no. And so, you know, when I think about the, the recruits and, the, you know, the, the young people, like we said earlier, they're invincible for about mm-hmm. five years or so. But I think, gosh, you know, what if there would have been any support at all for David? You know, what if mm-hmm. there would have been anything integrated into the academy that talked about the importance of protecting your mental and emotional health? And protecting your relationship and, and being a good parent and all the things, you know, all yep. the things that, you know, what what if that was integrated? It needs to be integrated because you're going into a profession that is unlike you know, you're not yeah. going to be a teacher or an accountant or you, it's it's a profession where like, you're going to see and do stuff and endure stuff that most people really don't even know. Mm-hmm. You know, the I know, you know, the average person has no idea what you guys see, what you do, what yeah. you know, what it's really like. So uh, it seems like a no brainer to me mm-hmm. to integrate you wellness. Would, yeah, and, yeah, you, you would, know,
0: you would think that. <laughs> yeah,
1: but we're just changing. It's changing slowly. It's like the Titanic. It's turning slowly. But oh, it's yeah. Changing. Yeah.
2: I think more and more what I see that people, they don't necessarily judge others that go to therapy, but they then they think, well, but I don't need that. There's mm-hmm. still a lot mm-hmm. of that. Like, yeah. oh, it's okay. He or she did it, but I, I'm fine. I don't need that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm and
2: coping with everything just I'm fine. good. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm fine. Everything's <laughs> fine. We're all fine here. How mm-hmm. are you? Yeah. <laughs> again, not sustainable.
2: No.
0: No. Not at all. And I mean, you know, and I've told this story on the podcast before, but whenever I came through the fire academy, like that was one of the talks that we got was you put your feelings in a box, you put them under your bed and you can have them back when you go home. Okay. Well, that's great. That's, and I get, I think the mentality of that, of having compartmentalization of doing the job and being able to focus and, you know, handling the problem in front of you. The other part of that is the processing it, dealing with it and all that stuff. They just left all that out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So So Yeah. So you get the box under your bed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Twenty five <laughs> years later, you know, the box is pretty full. The bed's like this.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know what I think is making a bigger difference than anything else is like I said earlier, is is people like you guys being allowing yourself to be vulnerable and speak up and speak out about these things. And I think that's why people are open to pause first academy and what we're teaching and mm-hmm. what we offer because we do lead with holistic wellness i mean we do teach meditation mindfulness yoga and that but we also have other courses that are like work-life balance conflict resolution anger management and things like that but the team the whole team they're all veterans and first responders all the instructors mm. and I, and you guys lend credibility your peers will listen to you guys you've done the job Like you're in the job, you've done the job, you, you know what I mean? So, and that's another thing about y'all is like, you kind (laughs) of trust each other. Yeah. That is, that is true. And yeah. So if it kind of comes from an outside, but fair enough, Mm -hmm. because nobody outside of these professions really knows what it's like to be a com, to be in combat, what it's like to be a police officer, what it's like to be a firefighter, like what you, you know, Like, little boys always used to, um, and probably still do, like, you know, police officers are their heroes and firefighters are are their heroes. But you get this idea as a kid and then you kind of never outgrow this idea that, like, you know, the the friendly policeman that just keeps us safe and, like, the firefighter that holds the hose and waters down and puts out. But there's this all this other that you guys do and people, they don't know. Mm -hmm. They don't know. I feel like we should have education seminars for just like for people in society, be like, I would like for you to know what you are paramedics and firefighters and police officers, what they do. Like, let's do a day in the life of. Yeah. So you guys understand. So the next time they write you a ticket, you don't get all pissed off because yeah. let me tell you what else <laughs> they've done on the job this mm-hmm. past month, you know? Yeah. But anyway, I, I'm grateful to people like you who are willing to step forward and talk. And it's the same thing with my whole team. These people that I work with is they were the use in their each their profession I mean they got interested in wellness or whatever and then they wanted to be better and feel better and then they wanted to share it with other people and they just stopped giving a rip Mm -hmm. you know what anyone thought about
0: well and I saw a perfect meme about that the other day this little girl in the back seat she just leans over and just goes you got to stop caring what other people think have you met other people (laughs) it's like from a (laughs) four-year-old no truer words have been spoken Mm -hmm. but also on that though i would say yeah it's great guys like us we're gonna stand up and you know say what we went through and it's okay to go get help and all that stuff but if there's no place for people to go then we can stand on every mountaintop and every rooftop and scream as loud as we want nothing's going to change there has to be Your side of it as well. You know, we have to have a place to say, Hey, that's where I went, or I know people there, or Mm -hmm. this is the therapist that I went to Mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. And it's okay. And that's one of the things that also needs to change of the whole, you know, Oh, you didn't do the job. You don't understand. Well, that's true. Maybe you didn't do the job. Doesn't mean you can't understand, at least on some level and empathize. You know, you can still, people can still help, you know, it's like if we're going to go to a, whatever, an elevator rescue or a, you know, swift water or something like that. I've never designed a boat before, you know, (laughs) I've never built an elevator. That's, I like that (laughs)
2: comparison. That's, yeah.
0: But, you know, that's kind of what I equate it to. Yes.
1: yeah interesting you know there's a whole new wave of first responders who are retiring early or retiring and then um, going back to school to become clinicians and therapists and I <laughs> hope that trend continues
3: mm-hmm.
1: I hope they get really well and healthy and stable first because a lot of times you know I know I'm not telling you guys anything when you work in these helping professions you you feed yourself by helping other people mm-hmm. and so sometimes you forget to you might need a little help too because you know that feeds your soul to to help other people but i i so to your point i understand why some people in these professions might sit down with like a 28 year old clinician who's has no background and, and might think you just don't know like you know i mean the 28 year old clinician Really might be able to help them but I understand where they're coming oh, from Absolutely, like, yeah. I don't want to sit here and trauma dump on you I don't wanna even want to tell you I don't yeah. want to get into it I don't want to get into it I mm-hmm. sure don't want to tell you all of it and even yeah. if I do you don't get it you don't get it you went to mm-hmm. high school you went to college you got your degree now your yeah. what life
0: experience do what, you have but you don't really yeah. know you don't yeah. really know yeah.
1: I mean almost everybody's dealing with some level of trauma but I do like the idea of a um, of first responders making that career shift in fact I almost feel like there should be a rule. Like you can only be a police officer for a certain – like how many years can – 10 years. <laughs> it's, that's, that's like – that's all anyone yeah. can take mentally or emotionally. And then you transition and you can still be in a helping profession or whatever, but it just needs – because yeah. I think this – I don't know. I have a lot of weird ideas around this, but um, – and, you know, nothing's going to change because of my weird ideas. But I do think for some people, for a lot of people, 30 years of doing that that mm-hmm. weighty work is – as a little much on your psyche, on your mental and emotional
0: yeah, health. have we've had that conversation. I've heard other people have that conversation, um, you know, especially with veterans and how many deployments is too many. Mm. You know, why are we letting these people continue eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 deployments into war zones and not going, okay, you've, you've done enough, Yeah, you know, like.
1: Yeah, and I'm not saying that you can't I do believe there are people who can go through a 30-year fire service career, law enforcement career, healthfully and retire healthfully. I mean, I think they're the exception and not the rule. But it doesn't happen accidentally. You have to – there has to be some – play you have to do some certain things so that you can yeah. move through the profession mm-hmm. healthfully. Yeah. I yeah. think
0: there – yeah, you have to be – to get out the other side – and be healthy and happy and have a good retirement and all that stuff. I think you there are some things that you have to do. And you have to be proactive with your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health. Mm. I mean, you mm-hmm. see, and I'm sure you saw it on in the police side of people that have been in for, you know, I don't know. What's that, like the eight-year mark or so? And you start seeing the fitness just
2: crater down and the bad part about that is now the the applicant pool is so low they're letting unhealthy people graduate the academy oh so now they're starting here instead of over the years so what's that going to do they like overall that is going to have a huge effect on them yeah you've put them in the same stress as somebody who's fit and ready mm-hmm. and you got somebody who's overweight and not cardiovascular in shape that, that the effects on their body is going to be Ten times greater, or yeah. I don't know how many times, but a lot greater on their body than it is the person who's fit. Yeah, and it, and I get it; they they need people to do the job, but
0: yeah, but that goes I, back to that whole conversation of lowering standards, mm-hmm. you know. And I I think in these professions, I don't think we have the luxury of doing that. You know, this this is life safety. You know,
2: yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying they can't do the job. That's not what I'm saying i just saying the longevity of them as opposed to some others is probably different. Or then, yeah. you know, unfortunately, maybe liability probably goes up for the departments as well. But I'm not going to like hearing that, but I think that's a fact.
1: Yeah. Physical fitness is hugely important. It used to be the only thing that anyone focused on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, and, yeah. and, then, and then working out, going for a run or hitting the gym was the only stress relief for stress, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's got to be some balance, you know? We, yeah. So we don't want to throw out the physical fitness part. We want to yeah. keep the physical fitness part in, but we need to really focus more on the mental yep. fitness, the emotional yep. fitness, the physical fitness. It's all the same thing. It's all one big thing called health.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Yeah,
0: And that is so true. Because you can tell. I mean, if you're not emotionally healthy, your physical health is going to suffer. If you're not mentally healthy, then emotional and physical health is going to suffer.
1: You can't separate uh, them out. Yeah. You can't. Like, they're, they're enmeshed. Yeah, it's all part of you. Yeah. And I think I think it's starting to change. Uh, do you guys feel like younger people, applicants or, you know, people who are new? Do you feel like. Mental well-being and emotional well-being kind of being embraced in the profession and maybe even taught through maybe a little bit in the academy or something or or maybe there's a. um you know, some in service training, right? Do you think the integration of more wellness, more mental and emotional well being is is attractive to younger people or no? Or do you think it's just like a personality type that goes into these professions and they're just go getters and
0: I mean it's as far as the mental and emotional part of it, I think it's being pushed a lot more. Um, and I think the newer generation is a lot more accepting of that.
1: They're more open. They're more the, open the...
0: to it. Now, it seems like, though, the trade-off for that is the physical fitness part is kind of slacking. Mm. And, you know, I don't know. Me personally, though, because, you know, your algorithms freaking show you what you're interested in most of the time anyway. So I've got all these firefighter fitness things and all this stuff, and I see all these people doing that. But then I look around and I'm like, okay. He's got a year on. I've never even seen him pick up a dumbbell. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay.
2: But he talks about mental health all the time. So yeah, it's like. it's Finding that balance is going to be hard. Because, yeah, a lot of what I've heard about this younger crew coming in onto the jobs, they are more open to the mental health talk. I think that comes at a price tag because, especially right now, when every agency is low on manpower, what I've seen from a lot of those folks is they don't want to work all those hours. Maybe that's why they're going to be mentally healthy, though. You know, (laughs) because you know, I worked in a unit where we worked nonstop. You know, eight years, four hundred hours in one year was the least amount of overtime. But I loved it and couldn't get enough of it. And but probably at the end of the day, that wasn't the best thing for me. So the the trade off of that is going to be they're gonna to have to find that balance now and then you throw in the nutrition too so yeah. we've got three different categories and now and we just started talking about it <laughs> so
1: oh my gosh
2: I think and, and mental health in the in the academy like I speak at a class at a local academy here um on like survivor mentality and just kind of tell some stories and my experiences is what I went through and what should have should not have been overlooked and just kind of give some experience to it at the same time when I'm when we're doing those classes, I'm thinking, where's the line of, okay, we're, they're not even going to say anything or believe anything we say anymore or have time to listen to it. Because I remember being on that seat, i like, that's not me. Mm-hmm. Not going to happen to me. And I guess have. what? Yeah, it did. Um, so that, that balance of starting those recruits out the right way, I think it's just something you constantly have to keep up on and figure out what's working and, and what's not and extract what's not and go somewhere else and figure something else out. I think it's just you got to learn as it grows because as the generations changes you got to change with them.
1: Yeah, and these generations are very different from
2: Uh yeah. The
1: boomer generation and my, you know, uh Gen X generation, mm-hmm. they're very different. And instead of all the old people sitting around complaining about them, <laughs> I think we have to figure out how we all coexist together and like Uh, what needs to change and adapt. I mean, the professions have to be adaptable, you know, the individuals have to be adaptable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, uh, my wife, Rachel was telling me about, she was listening to some talk with some military guy and he was talking about the recruits from 20 years ago and the recruits from today and the recruits from 20 years ago, they would come into the military and they would share nine of the 10 common cores, beliefs, values, whatever, and now the recruits they're getting in, at most they're getting three. Like wow. That's a huge societal shift. Yeah. Just in what, one generation? Two generations?
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: So we've gotta find some way to bridge the gap. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean it's it's not okay to just not have a fully built military, not have a fully staffed police department not have, yeah. you know and i know that's what all these yeah agencies are dealing with across the country is mm-hmm. short staff short staffing and losing people left and right people retiring early early and well, yeah
0: just yeah. getting out of the career field after three four five years mm-hmm. so yeah retention is a big thing recruitment is a, the other big thing and yeah we got there's to-
1: actually um there's a course on pause first academy that uh taught by uh she's retired under sheriff. She was the number two person in the sheriff's department and she ran the jail system for the last three years of her career. And she did a course, it's called the new generations. And it's, it's about that. She breaks down boomers, Gen X, Mm. millennials, and Gen Z. And why, where we all come from, like why we are, how we, how and why we are the way we are. And it helps you understand. It's really interesting. And, um, the reason she created that was for, to help, with recruiting and retention, by instead of us just like dismissing the other, mm-hmm. you know, I hear a lot of people my age say, "I hate millennials." <laughs> I, but that's not helping. That's not yeah, going to yeah. be productive within the agency. What if we try and understand each other, and then we take a slightly different approach? It's it's such it's it's an eye opening course because she really lays out, hmm. and um, you know. I, I've heard from some of my clients, like dispatchers, law enforcement, about that thing where the new people come in, the young people come in, and they're just built so differently from the old salty dogs. And it just isn't going very well. Mm -hmm. You know, like the younger people will say they, they get their feelings hurt or they feel bullied or whatever. And that really is what it is. It's just that the older people... That's just how it was. It mm. was like five years of hazing. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, that's, just, that's just so.
0: It's not hazing. It's team building. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> okay. There we go. I was looking for the words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally not
2: the same thing.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. So I mean, we got to figure this out though, because uh, it's.
2: Yeah. You know, this, that's a, this, a very is good point is. though. Take some time and invest in who you're going to be recruiting and hoping to retain. Instead of just dismissing, well, this generation sucks because of this, this, and this. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're a leader,
1: if you're a, if you're a, you know an old salty dog and you've, kind of, you know done always done things in a new way, but you hire all these young people and they just this is the way they are. They're just different from you. Mm-hmm. Maybe trying to understand, and it has to do with when you were born, what your parents' generation was doing, hmm. right? You know, like my generation, Gen X, we were the first latchkey kids.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It, my dad's generation, moms didn't work. You know, mom stayed yeah. home, took care of the kids, took care of the, you know, dad went to work. Mm-hmm. And then my generation, mom and dad both worked. Everybody worked. We got ourselves up in the morning. We got ourselves ready for school. We came home to an empty house. We like, you know, that was the first generation that did that. Mm-hmm. So it's just like something that simple can help explain why my generation tends to be a pretty – um I don't know what the word. Is. What's a nice word? Um, we're getting a little messed up, <laughs> but <laughs> we're kind of very self sufficient. Yeah, you know, independent, self sufficient. A lot of, lot of, you know, a lot of grit because we had to. You know, mm-hmm. we had to. I mean, like in my house, you better be pretty sick to miss school. Like you had like puke on my dad's shoes or something because <laughs> otherwise you were just it was like you're you're fine you go, go to you school yeah. yeah my brother played sports and he'd break a finger my dad would tape it and then like back to it you know like that yeah. and and then you and then because that's how we were raised I think then we had our kids and then we kind of overparented
3: mm-hmm. you know.
1: We were like, "Oh, he stubbed his toe. He won't be at practice for a week." You know, we were just, like, yeah. It's, so it's, but it's, and that's funny. But I mean, it's like understanding each mm-hmm. other. You know, yeah. like trying to like people that were raised in the Depression. They have some certain qualities about them that because they know what it means to have nothing. Mm-hmm. It was like that. You know. Yeah. That might help with this whole thing, and we have to integrate the mental and emotional health piece for the young people. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah, it, it's not. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and because we know the result. We know the result if we don't.
1: And it can't continue. No, it, it's not yeah. acceptable. No.
0: So, I mean, hopefully I, I see positive movement going in the right direction. It's just, you know how it is, especially big organizations. They move so slow and it's like, how many more are we going to lose before we get to where we need to be
1: yeah Yeah.
2: that's kind of what i'm worried about now like departments um priorities i don't think i think they were edging towards mental health and now it's edging towards well what do we do about all this violent crime we have what do we do about these people that we're losing what are we doing about trying to find people to get in the academy yeah and i'm afraid if the right people take... aren't in place, mental health is going to take a back seat again. Yeah. And then they're right back in the same boat with even less people because they didn't want to pay attention to it. Yeah. So I don't know where.
0: That's wow. a very, very real and valid concern. Mm-hmm. Because it is, I mean, it's, you go into crisis mode and have just, we got to stop the bleeding. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to get people in the door. We have to retain people, not thinking about the repercussions of getting the wrong people Mm -hmm. in and I mean you know we've kind of talked about it in the past but the repercussions like look at Memphis PD that situation that happened in Memphis happened because they continually lowered their standards because they couldn't get people through the front door Mm -hmm. like every single officer that was on that scene would not have been hired seven eight years before because they wouldn't have met the standard
2: yeah well, and there's there's a lot to that puzzle, too. And yeah. There and there were less tenure than should be in a specialized unit like that. I mean, there's a lot of... Yeah. And that's all effect of not having the people you need, though. Not yeah. being able to keep your numbers up. Not having the experienced folks stay around and want to pass that knowledge on. Mm-hmm. And that's the same, I'm sure, in the fire world, too. you yeah. got to have somebody who's just a salty dog who's been... An, Doing it for years and years, pass some of that knowledge on. Yeah. Maybe not the mental health knowledge. Well, somebody else pass that <laughs> on. Uh, yeah, no. their hey, mental hey, health hey, knowledge hey. is
1: what. Um, have a uh, drink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just
2: that's let's go uh, out to the bar. We'll work it out. Yeah,
0: that's been the standard for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, but you're right though, because it is, and especially in career fields where, like. Not all fire departments are like this, but some you have to have a certain amount of time on before you can start testing for promotions. Mm -hmm. So in some places that's 10 years, some places it's more, some places it's less. But if you've got people coming in that are in for two, three years and then they're leaving. Okay. Well, let's say you have a couple of classes that do that. Yeah. Well, then you get to that, you know, eight year mark. Okay. Well, everybody who's ready to take the captain's test or lieutenant's test or whatever, come, come on down. We can have like one person come down.
2: Yeah, you don't have anybody to choose from.
0: Yeah. And yeah, you've got and the, all of these rank spots that you have to fill, but nobody who's eligible to fill them. Mm-hmm.
1: The generational thing, the the boomers, that, that was a huge they were huge demographic boom boomers. You mm-hmm. know, they
3: mm-hmm.
1: and so they're they're retiring in droves now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so they're gonna create a ton of open positions.
0: Yeah. Well, and yeah. that's what we're seeing, you know, I said we don't really talk about specifics but you know with my department we're coming up and we're just starting where we had a big push for hiring for like seven eight nine years in a row we were hiring like just crazy well we're getting to the point now where all of those people are getting to the retirement age Mm -hmm. and they're not sticking around to 32 Mm. they're out at 25 a lot of them Mm. which and all of those people are in rank positions now So, it's like, okay.
2: Yep. Fun. Yeah. Figuring all this out. Yeah. Yeah, I I
1: think a lot. I I would hate to be in law enforcement leadership right now because, I mean, they just have, it's just a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. They're stuck between a rock and a hard place.
2: Yep. And, yeah, I think people's intentions are a lot of times good. But what they got to focus on, I think, is, you know, it's not going to be where it needs to be.
1: Back Mm. in the day, lots and lots and lots of people would apply for just a few, Mm -hmm. you know, for a small, for an academy class, you'd have tons of people. And it's, that's just not what's happening these days.
0: Well, Kim, thanks for coming on the show.
1: It's been so nice Uh, talking to you guys. Yeah. Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, Do you have any closing thoughts?
1: Any closing thoughts? Um. I just, I guess I would just thank you guys for the work that you're doing because there just can't be enough of you raising this conversation. These conversations need to happen because you don't ever know who might be listening and you, you're going to spark something. And guys like you make it okay for other people to talk to a mentor, talk to a friend, take a step, you know, that you see someone else has. So anyway, thanks for the platform and thanks for talking about this because you're, you're helping more people than you know, you're reaching more people, you'll never know. You'll never know how many people you reach. Well, thank you. That's important. That. It's really, really important. Yeah. yeah.
2: Mike? I would encourage everybody listening to, to check out, at least check out meditation and see what proper ways to do it. And like we said before, it's just one tool and it may be a tool that works really well for you, but you don't know until you ever try.
1: Hey, I have a free meditation course on Pause First Perfect. Academy. It's called the 21 Day Meditation Jump Start. I don't know when you'll air this episode, but it's open now. It's not always open. It's like open, and I enroll people, and then I close it for a little bit, but there's always a waiting list.
3: Okay. Mm.
1: So if you were just interested, like, oh, let me just see what this is about. um, It's uh, completely free, it doesn't cost you a dime. And uh, we start, we do 21 days. We start on day one with one minute. And each day, I just give you a contemplative thought. have you close your eyes, take a few breaths. I built in tons of flexibility. You cannot possibly fail. It's about experimenting. Mm -hmm. I give a lot of different techniques, approaches, ideas. um, And there's a journal that goes with it that's in there. It's a downloadable PDF that you can use if you want to or you don't have to. Um, But it's a way that you can start with a minute a day. And then day two, we do two minutes. And day three, we do three minutes. And then I say, if you get to day three and three minutes, and that's all you can do right now, do that for a couple weeks. And then come back and then, you know, so if, yeah, just if somebody was just interested, like, let me just check it out. Or somebody's spouse, like, you know, could use it absolutely free and not free, like free. And then I email you every day to buy (laughs) something from me. (laughs) We've all done those. Uh, Yeah. It's like free. It's just, it's just my way of offering a way for people to kind of experiment with something they might be unfamiliar with or skeptical of.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah.
0: We'll put those links in the, uh, in the show notes. So that way everybody can click on that stuff, check it out. I would echo what uh, Mike said of definitely check out meditation. Um, Like you said, might not be for you, but it might. And it's a way to kind of start emptying that cup out a little bit and kind of give yourself a little bit more resilience. And like you said, it's not going to be a negative, so... Um, and thank you, Kim, for coming on the show. I think what you're doing is valuable. And thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank so, you for that. Um, if you are struggling, reach out. There are resources out there. There's one right there. Um, and uh, <laughs> if you uh, if you know somebody that's struggling, reach out to them. Let them know what resources are available. Let them know that you care. Um, thanks for stopping
3: by. And we'll see you next time.